Hello again, and welcome to the Gospel Boldly podcast, where we confess with St. John that... What, what do we confess with St. John again? I don't have it right in front of me this time. It's something about these words are written that you may these believe. These things are written that you may believe that, that Jesus, Jesus is the Christ, the, Christ, the, the Son of, of God. Wow. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> it's Luckily, over. our confession is not based upon my ability to carry a tune in a bucket. We are the Gospel Boldly Podcast. And again, the point is, let's go look at the Word of God, because the Word of God shows us Jesus Christ, who is our life and salvation. We are your co-hosts. I am Pastor Eric Brown up in Hersher, Illinois, and with me is... I'm Thomas Limke, and uh, yeah, that, I, I think I can remember that much of our introduction, my own name. That should do it. What, what is your middle name, Thomas? It's John. Oh, actually, I have two middle names. One is John, the other shall remain undisclosed for the time being. Dun-dun-dun. Okay. All right. Cool beans. He has a secret middle name. Ooh, that kind of gives an air of mystery to our show. Thomas Keep John Limke, man of mystery. What episode will Thomas reveal his secret middle name? <laughs> so we're uh, we're back again, and we are rapidly coming to the end of the second chapter of the Gospel of John. Rapidly. John two really is kind of a short chapter, right? Um, and and we just touched on. Um, stuff in verse 18 but and, and following, but let, let's back up and begin again at, at John 2.18. Now, just before this, uh, you've had the wedding at Cana, and then John tells the story of Jesus driving out the uh, the merchants at the uh, at the temple. A personal favorite. And, and, and people come up and say, dude, why are you doing this? And we, well, let's get into that discussion, because it's an awesome discussion. Sounds good. John has some awesome stuff in it, so... All right, if you would start reading that chapter, oh, uh, verse 18. Sounds good. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. All right, something to note in 18. While the ESV just says, and the Jews said, the old King James has then answered the Jews because it really is the, the Greek word for answer there. Okay. And, and I think the ESV translated that way because Jesus hadn't like done a question and they weren't. We're, we tend to almost think of, of answer solely in terms of questioning. But the idea is more of a response. If I say, um, well, okay. See, we can't talk smack about college football because we're both OU grads. I know. So, so if I were to go to some uh, OSU cowboy fan and say, "Yes, your bright orange is dumb," <laughs> they could answer back and say, "Your horse mascot looks stupid." I, that, <laughs> that that would be answering back and forth. Uh-huh. It's not a matter of question. So basically, after Jesus has has, has cast out the, the the money changers from the temple. This is not just a, a simple, oh, why are you doing this? This is this is responsoratory. This is this is coming right back in at you. Whoa. Wh- what what evidence, what sign, what where's your credentials that lets you get off walking in here and beating people with whips? You you better the proof is in the pudding, you better give it. And Jesus doesn't really give it, does he? No. If I ask you for a sign. Um, well, one, th- he, while Jesus could perform miracles, he, he doesn't. 
while, while as we hear from Satan's temptation, he could leap off the, uh, the top of the temple and be unharmed. Well, that'd be kind of a cool sign. No, it doesn't do that. Doesn't doesn't heal some blind guy. Doesn't say, <laughs> you, I, I I know that your your wife has a bad back. Behold, it is healed. Go home and say hi to her. <laughs> he doesn't, doesn't do a miracle. Doesn't do anything like that. He just says, tear down this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. That's the real sign you need. Of course, he's not really talking about that stone building behind him or that he's standing in. He's talking about his body. And this is the second time that we've gotten in, in John already the idea that the true temple is Christ Jesus' own body. Now, Thomas, if I just say the temple or the tabernacle, what's the point of a temple or a tabernacle? Uh, a shrine for the Lord, a set-apart holy place for the manifestation of his presence with his people. All right. The point of the temple or of the tabernacle in the Old Testament is that was where God would be present with his people. And Jesus is pointing out this is all foreshadowing. The real thing, the, the great thing, the fulfillment of what the, the tabernacle and the temple was meant to be is me, Emmanuel, God with us. Well, or with you, since I'm speaking that way. But but that's the idea, that, that, that God comes down and is with us. God becomes man to be with us. Also, what was the, the high point, the center point of the, the temple? Um, the blank of blanks. Oh, well, okay. I thought you meant like the, the height that Jesus was no, supposed no, no, to no, jump no. off of or something. No, no, no. The, uh, or that the, James supposedly got the, thrown the, off of. The, the spiritual high point of the temple. Yes, the most holy place, the holy of holies. And what was in the holy of holies? Or is it the thrice holy, like the holy, holy, holy thing or something? I don't know. No, but it's that's just heaven. the holy of holies. Yeah, 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 heaven's the holy, holy, holy thing. Um, what is there is the Ark of the Covenant. And the mercy seat. What? And what is the roof of the Ark of the Covenant called? The mercy seat. And, and why is it called the mercy seat, Thomas? That's where God sits and dispenses mercy from. Ooh, and what happens once a year? Uh, the sprinkling of the blood uh, on the Day of Atonement, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. Woohoo! All right, okay. So, so the point of the temple is this is where God is with his people, and in there is the mercy seat, which contains the law, the, the, deliver, uh, the manna from the wilderness, and, and the top of it's called the mercy seat. That's where God is, and from there, when blood is shed, there's mercy and forgiveness. And Jesus says, I am the temple. Are we seeing how this is all pointing and driving forward to the cross and death and resurrection? Definitely. And do any of the people there get it when Jesus says it? No. This is totally over the head type of thing. This is this is. I mean, just I I I'm I'm running my hand over my head multiple times. <laughs> it, it doesn't make good radio, but it's kind of fun to do. It, it, it's that just they don't get it. In fact, not just the Jews don't get it. If you would read. 22 yeah just 22 okay when therefore he was raised from the dead his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word uh, word that jesus had spoken now two things there they believed the scriptures and the word that jesus had spoken they realized that this is an old testament fulfillment thing because that's the that that's the scriptures for them and they believe what jesus had spoken they're seeing that Jesus is wrapping up everything of the Old Testament. Everything in the Old Testament is driving to him. Let me ask you a question, Thomas. Sure. 
you're a disciple. Okay. You're following Jesus. Okay. And they ask for a sign. And okay. he comes up with this, and you have no clue what he's talking about. What's your reaction when the teacher that you're following starts bringing out stuff and you have no clue what he's talking about? Um, if I can seek an audience with him, I'll have to ask about that later. Memo to myself, make a note, jot it down. Otherwise, I might have to reconsider this whole uh, trajectory of my life. <laughs> Moreover, think about it. Jesus is having there a discussion with the Jewish bigwigs. So, yeah. so, so it's not that, that Jesus is talking to like some crazy person on the corner, so maybe he's going to do some crazy. No, no, he's talking to the big, the powerful, the mighty guys. And they come after him. Yeah, Jesus, blah, blah, blah. They give him a good, they, they come up with a good opening punch. And Jesus turns around and says, I'll punch you back and blows raspberries. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't make any sense. And, and uh, it, it'd be one of those almost, you know, when your, your, your parents do something that's just sort of, oh, I can't believe they did it. Even if you figure out later that, that there's a good reason for it, and the moment was just utterly embarrassing, this is kind of the situation here. Right. This is just one of those, oh. So, which leads into the rest of the chapter. If you would read uh, 23 and 24 and 25. Okay. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them, because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. There's this interesting point that, that John brings up here. You know, people weren't quite sure what to make of Jesus. They, they saw other signs that he was doing. I mean, because wherever Jesus goes, he preaches, he, he heals, he does all this stuff. And a lot of people are like, this is great. But John notes, yeah, Jesus didn't really buddy-buddy up to them because he knew what they were after. There's a difference between the sign and what the sign points to. Right. Um, Thomas, you're hitched. Right, yes, I am. Can you hold up the ring finger on your left hand so I can see it? There it is. Hey, I recognize there that I, 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 I officiated at Thomas's wedding. Uh, when, when did that little ring on your finger get put on there? Uh, when my wife said her vows. So is that ring a sign of something? Yes. What's the sign of? Um, there's like actual words that she said during it. It's like a sign and a seal of something, cherish, love, and obey. I was, <laughs> I was getting married at the time. I can't remember anything. <laughs> What's more important, the ring on your finger or the sign, or because it's a sign that you're married to uh to to your wife, right? Right. Which, which is line. more important, the ring on your finger or or the gal to whom you're married? Her and and the care and love that I show for her and she for me. Right. the The sign is always less important than what the sign points to, right? I mean, that's fair. I use this as a, a, an analogy. If I'm driving home and I see the sign that says, turn here to get to Hersher, I don't stop the car and yell, honey, I'm home. I, <laughs> I still have a few miles left to go, but, but I'm glad of the sign because it points me to where I need to go. Right. And the point that, that Jesus realizes is even if he does all this great stuff, so many people are in love with the sign, uh -huh. not with what the sign is pointing to. 
Okay. While it's cool that Jesus does miracles and stuff, it, while, while turning water to wine is awesome, that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is the Messiah is there. And John points out, you know, even as Jesus is doing this, he understands human frailty. He understands how many people aren't really focused on the Messiah, aren't ready to have that, that looking at spiritual truth, and rather are thinking carnally, are thinking worldly. In fact, when, when we start chapter 3, we're going to get a great example of this. But, um, but I think that'll probably come really well off the break. And any thoughts just on chapter 2 as a whole there, Thomas? Well, it's still interesting to me, the juxtaposition of the wedding at Cana with the cleansing of the temple. This idea that, I mean, Jesus begins his signs. You have something ostensibly, at least, from the beginning of his ministry. And then, as you said last time, how John kind of skips around and shuffles things in to make a point. We have something from the end of his ministry demonstrating a different side of his character. Is this something that we can continue to expect from John as we go? I I think you do. Because, again, it's one of the things where where John doesn't want us to just have this rosy, happy picture of Jesus, but rather the Jesus who comes and brings good, but the Jesus who also doesn't mess around with sin. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of times in in popular depictions, you almost have this this hippie Jesus, where it's just, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm Jesus. He's kind of cool. Almost the, the... Jesus is a 98-pound weakling who would uh-huh. hurt fly. Well, no, no. there are times when Jesus is not afraid to mix it up. Because again, he's going to fight for us. And he's not going to let anything get in the way of our salvation, including the stupidity of man. So, does that, that good. work? It does. Almost like bookends for what goes on the rest of the book. Perfect. All right. Well, we will continue on in chapter three after the break. And we are back to the uh, Gospel Boldly podcast, and we are just getting ready to start uh, John chapter 3. Now, this uh, this beginning with John chapter 3 is a famous text. Um, it comes up quite often right at the beginning of the Trinity season. Every year in the one-year series, I know it came up this year in the, uh, the three-year series, too, in series B. So it's, it's one of my favorite texts. Are we ready, Thomas? Let's do it. Let's do All it. Right. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. All right. I'm calling BS. Okay. (laughs) Here's why. All right. So you have have Nicodemus. And what is he? He he is a Pharisee. He's a ruler of the Jews. He's a bigwig. Yeah. All right. And he comes to Jesus and says, oh, yes, we know, I'm going to speak for a bunch of people, we know all this stuff about you because you're awesome and such. When does he come? Uh, By night, according to the text. Now, Thomas, um, if you are confident that you are in good standing, and if you're confident that this Jesus fellow is all that he's cracked up to be, do you talk to him during the day out in public in front of everyone else, or do you come to him by night? I would see nothing to lose by speaking to him during the day if he really is all that, and I believe him to be such, and so does everybody behind me over here. Now, if you're not sure about whether or not people will back you, 
And if you're not sure about the guy you're talking to, then do you kind of do things behind closed doors? There may be a little more no cloak and dagger to my operations. That, yeah, in that case, yeah. <laughs> so so what, what you have is you have Nicodemus approaching Jesus, kind of trying to... to puff up his own importance, trying to butter up Jesus, playing the, the power and might game. And it's a front. It's a cover. Nicodemus is a powerful man, but he's kind of out on a limb here going to Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this When, when the, the Pharisees sent people to talk to John the Baptist, they sent him out in the middle of the day and they talked to him. They, they didn't come to John at night and go, well, why are you baptizing? Who are you? John's out on a limb. Uh, Nicodemus is out on a limb here in dealing with Jesus. All right? Right. Which explains why Jesus kind of comes back at him really hard. Okay. Right? Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. All right. This is one of this is the first, I believe. Yeah, I think it's the first. This is the first truly, truly phrase we get in John. We get a lot of these from Jesus. Mm-hmm. In, in Greek, it is amen, amen. Well, truly, truly ends up being the sign that is, it's the note that means, yeah, I'm going to let into you. And Jesus comes in and says, truly, truly, that's right, that's right. I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You're here in the dark, man. And I'm not talking about the night. I'm saying you have no idea about the kingdom of God. You ain't a ruler, a jack fellow. It is a boom, smack, knock him down. All right. You don't know what you're talking about, Nicodemus. You don't have a clue. And just in case you think Jesus is wrong, <laughs> Nicodemus opens his mouth and proves him right. <laughs> Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? All right. Now, we blow right by this phrase. This is a gross phrase. What would it mean to enter a second time into your mother's womb? Um, it would mean... Re- remember, <laughs> Nicodemus is coming at night, and you're in the Eastern Empire... You're you're in the Roman Empire, and you're the eastern part, and you, you what what did all the 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 uh, Canaanites have, and what were the Persians famous for? Uh, a lot of times, the pagan rites, the religious celebrations involved what? Um, a lot of things. <laughs> Let's just say temple prostitutes. Yeah. Okay. Go with that. There, there, there's some some hanky panky going on. So basically, it almost what, what you have Nicodemus doing is sounding out. Okay, is this going to get some type of weird, freaky thing that you're talking about? <laughs> His initial thought on hearing the phrase "born again" is weird pagan sex. Now, this could be on the bad side. It could be Nicodemus hoping that's what it is. I don't think it is. This might just be Nicodemus being cautious and trying to feel out Jesus. Okay, he's not doing some weird thing. Because again, this is one of the things that could have been thought because Jesus actually had a lot of female followers. You get this especially in Luke where you get the list of all the... Again, that wasn't normal, so they're thinking, what's going on here? Uh-huh. So so this might just be Nicodemus feeling Jesus out to make sure that he's not a crackpot. But still, it's kind of, you, you went to the gutter, Nicodemus. 
All right. Okay. And so then, then we get a, a long, truly, truly response. If you want to read through verse 8, and then we'll go through this. All right. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. All right. One very important note about Greek. Um, Thomas, um, what is wind in it's, general? Mm, a conglomeration of air molecules pushing against a surface. You're not you're not asking for the scientific. It's a it's a movement of air current. It's a movement of air. Hey, uh, Thomas, what is spirit? Um, I suppose a movement of in, air. Yeah. Well, yes. See, the, this is one of the things, especially in Greek, that that word for wind, like in verse eight, the wind blows where it wills. Mm -hmm. It's the same word for spirit, because both of them are movements of air. In fact, what do we call breathing if you're in the hospital? They check your what rate? Uh, your respiration. Your respiriting rate, right? Right, uh -huh. right, right. So, so the idea is, and this is one of the things that you got in the ancient world, the, the spirit is the sign of life. It's the sign that you're breathing, the sign that there's, and, and if you're breathing, you put your hand in front of your mouth, you feel air moving. Uh -huh. What's wind? You put your hand out and you feel air moving. It's tied together. Okay. So what you have is you have an overlap here. When John, when Jesus compares the wind and the spirit, it makes perfect sense because it's the same word. Ah. So the point is, listen, you don't see the wind, but you know it's there. Likewise, when I'm talking about the spiritual stuff, about, about spiritual things, it's not about this physical, coarse, fleshly, whatever you were thinking it might have been about Nicodemus. This is a, a great spiritual truth. And in fact, when you're born again, you're born of water and the Spirit. Yeah, he's talking about baptism here. Mm -hmm. He's pointing forward to this. It's an amazing thing that is not merely something physical. If we just watch someone being baptized, does it look like there's anything all that amazing happening? Not to the human eye, no. I mean, I, I can go watch on, on YouTube, like, best super soaker fights, and that might look even cooler with water. <laughs> I mean, that might look more amazing. But, but what happens at a baptism is a spiritual thing. New life is given. Mm-hmm. And it's something that, that we don't see, that we don't understand. And here you get this contrast. It's a, a theme that's going to come up over and over in John. The contrast between flesh and spirit. Now, if I just say flesh, what do you think of? Um, the meaty substance that sits on our bones, I guess. Flesh ends up being the description of the nitty-gritty of life in the fallen world. Uh, it, 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 it's life impacted with sin. That's flesh. Okay. And and so Jesus pointed out, if you are trapped thinking sinful stuff about thin, sinful things, you ain't going to get what I'm talking about. Nicodemus, you came here, your mind was in the gutter. You ain't going to get it. 
Rather, what happens is you must be born again. You, the Spirit of God must work upon you and give you life. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. And then when the Spirit gives you life, when he calls you to faith through the Word of God, through baptism, then you'll be able to see and understand. And so what you have here is this, basically you have Jesus teaching the third article of the Creed. Hey, Thomas, how does the third article of the Creed, its meaning, begin in the small catechism? There's your small catechism test for the day. Oh, gosh. Normally I'd be able to give this one, but after a days of work like this. Um, I believe I cannot buy. My own reason or strength come to my Lord Jesus Christ or believe in him, but the Holy Spirit. You believe in him or come to him. Oh, I flipped him. The Holy Spirit has. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel. Enlightened me with his gifts. Sanctified me and kept me in the one true faith. Woo! Something there you like go. Thank you. But, but again, the whole idea is. Oh, man. Okay. D don't tell your catechism, pastor, teacher, that I. I that we kind of flipped through that. All right. <laughs> <laughs> we know it. It's just pressure to perform. That's right. right. Yes. So, but anyway, the point is, look, this is this is um, what we confess that that unless the Holy Spirit calls, gathers, enlightens, sanctifies you, you mm -hmm. aren't going to be able to make sense of this, Nicodemus. Mm -hmm. And you know what? The wind blows where it wills. You hear it sound, but you can't make heads or tail of it. So it is with the Spirit. The world, the fleshly world, the sinful world is never going to understand the Christian faith and what we as Christians believe. It just won't make sense. This is one of the things that, that I think sometimes we, we sell short. We forget how crazy sounding the Christian faith is to the world. This is this is 1 Corinthians 1. For the, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Mm -hmm. The idea that salvation comes by death and resurrection terrifies the sinful world. Yet the whole point of being born again is that this life now, the first one that you have, isn't going to amount to anything. You need to be born again unto life everlasting. And that's our hope, not in here and now. All right, Nicodemus, you're a ruler of the world, Woo, a ruler of the Jews. Woohoo! What's that get you? Well, after another 60 years, it gets you nothing. Yep. Ooh, your your bone box, your, your coffin's a little bit more spiffy than someone else's. Yay! Whoopee for you! <laughs> But if Christ doesn't come to give life and salvation through his death and resurrection, big deal. But Christ rather says, no, no, no. The Spirit comes. The Spirit gives life. In fact, as John does talk about Genesis, we hear in Genesis 1, and the Lord God breathed, ooh, ooh, breathed into the man's nostrils the breath of life. And he became a living being. Mm -hmm. Do you know what else the word for breathe is? Re remember respiration? Yeah. It's literally in the Lord God spirited into man's nostrils the spirit of life. That's all interchanged language. So again, when Jesus talks about flesh, he's talking about that's what's going to die. No, no, no. Let's go talk about life. Because just as man lost life, everlasting life with their sin. I'm going to go defeat sin. I'm going to give you life and resurrection through my own death and resurrection. And I'm going to give you the spirit so that you have this. And if you don't have the spirit, it ain't going to make sense to you. So quit trying to act like you're a know-it-all Nicodemus and listen and receive. Harumph! So there. Okay, maybe, didn't, maybe didn't Jesus add the, that harumph. But, uh, but 
yeah, it, it's kind of blunt. This is that. This is that answer. Do you know how there's there's kind of some dialogue here back and forth? Absolutely. We're gonna get a lot of this dialogue coming up in job. So. Sounds good. Well, you and I will be beginning a dialogue here uh, right after the break, won't we? In the Inquisition. All right. We'll we'll, we'll get to it. begins the Inquisition! The Inquisition, what a show! The Inquisition, here we go, we know you're wishing that we'd go away! But the Inquisition's here and it's here to stay! Oh boy! The Inquisition, what joy! And we are back. I should sound somber going to the Inquisition. And we're back with that part of the show that we lovingly call the Inquisition, where we will put each other to the test. That, that, that kind of sounded more ominous, didn't it? Rather I need than... to really like layer some effects over your voice at that point and just really make it drum up a, a lot of uh, angst and anxiety. I'm going to ask first. Oh, okay. Now I do have some angst and anxiety. <laughs> There's been an awakening. Have you felt it? All right. So if you don't get what that is a reference to, both Thomas and I are, are, is it fair to say we're Star Wars nerds? Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, yeah, I I went out on Force Friday. It was awesome. Here's my question for you, Thomas. Okay. Now, I'm thinking about this just from the lens of Star Wars to start, but but just from entertainment and movies in general. Mm -hmm. Um, You and I are both excited to see Star Wars stuff coming up. Um, But while there's some themes that are nice, good versus evil, things like that. It's not exactly Christian. No, folks, sorry, the the force is not theologically accurate. What should we as Christians have as an expectation for our entertainment? Or or, what what should we look for in entertainment, and what should we not look for for in our entertainment? Uh, Well, if you want a full version of what I'm about to say, you should probably go get a couple of Brian Gadawa books on the subject, like his uh, Hollywood worldviews and stuff, which... How do, you, how do you spell that last name? Gadawa? Like God, like G-O-D-A-W-A, Brian Gadawa. He's, he's actually got some books on this very subject that, as far as I understand, have been used as college textbooks at some universities, even, mm-hmm. looking into it all. So that, for the less protracted version. Um, but when you're looking at movies, I guess the question is, should you be pulling out any specific bits and pieces worldview-wise, or... Is that well, where you're coming just, from? Well, just in general, what what should we be aware of? What 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 can we enjoy? How do we how do we, how oh, okay. do we navigate the whole thing right. of a So, what I would say is, number one, recognize and understand. And this is in general, not just when you go see a movie or something. Story is really important because your your framework as you live life is a framework of story. Oftentimes you'll tell yourself stories about who you are and I'm a good person. And then you justify that I'm a good person. Theological overtones aside, how nobody's good, etc. You'll justify that based on a story that you tell yourself. I'm a good person because I did this and blah, 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 etc. So on and so forth. So there's this narrative that we live in, in our own heads and others. And when you look at movies, you have to be aware that there's a narrative being presented to you. 
Um, and oftentimes, like in the case of, say, something like, I don't know, what, what's a good example of a really good um, propaganda type movie? There's plenty oh. of them out there. Oh, yeah. Um, um, well, Brokeback Mountain or something like that. I don't know. Right. We, could, we could use one of the secular propaganda well, that's films good or something. Dated. Yeah. <laughs> okay. For this well, audience, I mean, I maybe. Not, I, well, I what's the new one with Ellen them. Page in it? The new one with Ellen Page with the, the, they're women this time. The homosexual lovers are women. Oh, I can't remember. I, I don't know. know. It's, it's a new, new movie that just came out. So maybe our listeners will get that one a bit more. But there's, there's a storyline that's being presented and you have to be able to recognize that it's attempting to get your mind in a certain frame and to be able to be aware of those shifts when they happen when the music happens when this moving thing happens etc it's all in an attempt not overt necessarily not like a propaganda thing necessarily but it uh, it's an attempt to move the audience in some way that's what art is mm -hmm. and so there are some ways you don't want as a christian to be moved so when you're watching those films reading those books be aware of how you're being moved why you're being moved in that way and uh, talk with your friends, your pastor, about your your parents, obviously, about those things, and and just make sure that's an appropriate, um, well, movement, I guess. If you want evidence of the importance of music in Star Wars or, or in movies, think of Star Wars. I mean, the the Star Wars soundtrack is fantastic, and you always yeah. have music telling the story. I, I think well, so. It is a I mean, space that, opera. I that's mean. just a well, yeah, it's, it's by design. But remember, too, just that movies aren't neutral. And even if they're meant to be a, a, a clash between good and bad, just be wary of who's defining what is good. Mm -hmm. Not everyone defines good in accordance with God's word. So, And that's becoming more and more common in, in uh, society today. Definitely. That work? Yeah, thanks. Good. All right. did, did, did you like my uh, ominous, sinister setup? <laughs> yes you know when i do that laugh in front of my kid i, I can't do it actually because he'll start crying i can't do the evil laugh it's... well i'm glad you don't get to do your evil laugh in front of your kid <laughs> i actually, did it once actually... and he just busts into tears i'm sorry anyway give it a few years and you might need to use it but that's yeah right there. so, so right, it's my turn to inquisitive you uh and the question i'll ask you has to do with languages we were talking momentarily ago that doesn't even make sense about how the Greek for spirit and the Greek for uh, wind is the same. In Hebrew too, right? There's the same thing, like you pointed out with breath, etc. Does everybody just need to learn Greek and Hebrew? Are there all kinds of shades of meaning that we miss by just going with the English? How, how are we to be content with the English language if maybe our calling is not one of learning other languages? Well, this is one of the things where we, we do have translations, and this is something Luther was actually big on. We should tr work on having the scriptures in our own language so everyone can understand them. The simple fact is not everyone learns languages well. Right. Um, I, I worked hard to get my Greek. Uh, I, I will tell a story. My uh, Greek prof from OU wrote a letter of recommendation for me for the seminary. Okay. And it said, there are two types of students who master the Greek language. There are those who have an innate gift to understand the language and how it works. And then there's Mr. Brown. Learning <laughs> Greek for him was like running into a brick wall. That was literally what he said on the letter of recommendation. <laughs> recommendation. Languages can be tough. And so... One of the things that, that we acknowledge is not everyone's going to, 
to get that. Right. What, I, what I'd recommend is make sure you have a, try and get a good translation. Uh, most Lutheran churches now are using the ESV. It's a pr- fairly good translation. I give it an A-. minus. It, it's a solid, good translation. I actually prefer the New King James or the New American Standard. Okay. But even with a good translation, sometimes there's going to be connections and nuances that you miss, which is why all of our pastors in the Missouri Senate are required to learn Greek and Hebrew. Not necessarily that they're going to be able to translate on the fly, sure, but enough that where they can study or if they can read the, the material, they can, they can look up and say, oh, I can see how that's the same word there. And in fact, a lot of times pastors will get together and, and they will go through the texts in their original languages as part of their sermon prep, or at least they have done so at one time in their lives. Fair enough. So, so what happens is there can be a depth, there can be connections that get made, because words have, have multiple nuances. For example, I'll use an English example. This is my favorite. What does the English word bank mean? B-A-N-K. B-A-N-K. I, I mean, when I use it, I use it to refer to a generally physical building that takes deposits and gives interest and things. All right, the loans, money maybe. place? Yeah. What about a river bank? Oh, there is that too, yeah. Right. Over, overflow the banks, that's the boundaries of a river. Right. Uh, what, what if you do one of those shots in basketball where it bounces off the uh, backboard? That is called a bank shot yeah right okay true or you can say i'm banking on it which means you're kind of trusting for there are a lot of nuances so if you're if you're translating something in english and someone uses that word bank it can kind of play off of multiple of those ideas at the same time Mm -hmm. but when you translate it well in japanese that those are four completely different words Mm -hmm. so so what happens is sometimes you can miss some of the nuances or if you're translating you have to say this is the nuance that really is meant here Okay. So that's 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 the difficulty of translation. Is it out of curiosity and off off the cuff? Does that have to do with homophones too, where you have multiple words that sound similar, and so you come up with little associations between them, like profits for money and profits that speak the word of God, things like that. Right. Yeah. Oh, okay. You, you you can every language has wordplay that that wordplay. That's the word. And, and you you. Can, just uh, most of the time it doesn't translate well this is one of the things that was great about japanese they love puns they love multilinguistic puns it's fantastic so but but so no this is one of the things where it's good to study this it's good to have a good translation of scripture so you can just kind of breeze through it and Mm -hmm. and get the the great overarching picture it's also good to make sure you take time to study the word to get in it and and especially with a, a teacher who can point out some of the points where there's some depth here, there's some meat, there's some connection that we might not think of at first blush in English. Sounds Does good. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Cool. Thank you. Now, now I've kind of like set the stage where I, I better find some good happy meat and what's to come up. But <laughs> I don't think that'll be a problem at all. I think we're in uh, verse nine of chapter three, right? As we as we do this, I have my English to the left of me and my Greek to the right. So, all right, this is fun. Good, good to go. Um, take nine and just read nine first. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? All right. Again, 
the the translation, I'm going to complain, drops off something. It's Apocrypheus answered Nicodemus and said to him. So this isn't just a, a honest question. This is a response. It's a retort. Nicodemus isn't just asking, well, how is this going to happen? It's more incredulous. It's more, mm. yeah, how is this going to be? What do you mean so, by that? Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh okay. I, I didn't... I, I'm a straight shooter, Jesus. I didn't come here for all this hippie, hippie, blah, 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 spirit <laughs> stuff. What in the world do you mean? So so it's a, a kind of a throwing it back. I came here to make sure you weren't messed up wickedly. Maybe you're just kind of messed up in the head. So, <laughs> all right. So let's get back to Jesus' response. Again, he answers him. Jesus answered him. Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Uh, just to inject, boom goes the dynamite. <laughs> right. Mic drop. I, I mean, this is, yeah, you, you've read the Old Testament. This shouldn't be foreign language, but carry on. All right. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. A lot of this so far is a very happy Jewish way of kind of putting him in this place. If you aren't getting the things that have been written down already in the Old Testament, because again, the Old Testament talks about spirit and life all the time. This shouldn't be a foreign concept to you. If you don't get that, how are you going to get the advanced stuff? Because you know what? I, I, I'm the Son of God. I, I, I have seen eternity in heaven. If you ain't following this, you're not going to follow on the other stuff. So, let me let me tie it back. Let me get to an Old Testament example that you should see and understand Nicodemus. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. But whoever believes in him, uh, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So what's the story Jesus is referring to? Uh what I will dub snake on a pole uh, <laughs> the time when I am know, those... tired of these snakes on a pole. Oh, <laughs> okay. The snakes in the desert or the serpents flying ostensibly serpents, but they come and bite serpents. people and yeah, the bronze things, whatever it was. Children come and bite people. complaining they they get by bit by snakes. They're dying. Right. And God tells Moses, all right, put a snake on a pole and hold it up. And whoever looks upon the snake on the pole will live. So, so how does salvation come? Uh, you know, you have something up on a pole that, and and you you put your trust on that. Hey, hey, what's going to happen to Jesus? He's going to get put up on a, a pole, and and when he gets put up on the pole, what's he going to do? Defeat the real serpent. I, I, so, so, so he's basically saying, all right, what you saw with Moses, you're going to see something better. Now. Next time, we're going to get to John 3.16. So we might back up here and, and, and get this for the running start for next time. Right. I think we're out of town, time, basically. Basically. All right. So so we'll get into this more next time. But, but Jesus is going to start at the basics. Okay, let me start with an Old Testament example so you can see where I'm going. Since you're the teacher of Israel, you should know all this Old Testament stuff. And then I'm going to blow your mind, guy. All right? Sounds, sounds good. All right. Have a great one. Enjoy life, the universe, and all the good blessings God gives to you.